O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus foretells destruction of the temple. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Signs of the end of age. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the, kingdom, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Thank you, Johanna, for uh, the reading of God's Word this morning. I felt like um, this is a so very solemn morning for many of us with the, with the songs and uh, with the reading of scriptures this morning. But I think um, the Spirit of God is here, so we'll allow God to speak to us, each one of us, accordingly. And uh, we as recipients of his message uh, would have ears to listen. Um, let me pray for all of us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the songs that we have sung. Uh, you know each conditions of our hearts. You know our lives. You know everything. You are omniscient. You know every sins that we have committed, even this very week but we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We don't deserve any of these. But even this morning, Lord, as your servant comes and be 
a vessel, a broken vessel that you have mended. Uh, may I um, be your instrument to speak your word, to speak your perfect truth, um, that you would avail to me the power of the Holy Spirit to speak your truth, to speak your word to every heart, to every he ears that is willing to listen. So I pray, Father, as we look into your word intently this morning, that we will learn and not only add to our knowledge, but truly have a heart that is transformed to be desiring your will be done and your purpose be fulfilled in our lives. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So good morning, everyone. Uh, those of you who are here in this auditorium, as well as those who are watching at home or wherever you are, uh, today we are going to continue our series on the book of Matthew. Uh, we have taken a few weeks to talk about some uh, topical issues, and uh, the elders have asked me to uh, preach to continue the, the series that we have been on. So the series that we have been on is uh, uh, growing toward the end or moving toward the end. And uh, we have had, just as a reminder of what uh, was spoken a few weeks ago, we were talking about the seven woes, if you remember that, that Jesus said to the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, uh, woe to them, because God has chosen the nation of Israel, which was represented by uh, the, their leaders, to be his mouthpiece, to be people that supposed to show the way to God to other nations. But instead, they have become hypocritical, uh, and then um, they have done uh, a lot of things that actually turn people away instead of drawing people to God. Uh, and the very last part of that uh, uh, passage in uh, Matthew 23 talks about Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that, uh, the city that God loves, but yet um, they are not willing. They, they are the people that actually killed the prophet and stones them to death. And uh, these are the people that were supposed to propagate God's word to the hearts of the people so that people would repent and turn to God, but yet they fail miserably, and not only that, they become a stumbling block instead of a bridge for people to come to God. So with that backdrop, now we are going to uh, look into the rest of Matthew, and um, today I'm going to be starting uh, what the theologians and scholars call the Olivet Discourse. So there are five different discourses in the whole book of Matthew, and we have covered quite a number of them, although the Bible doesn't necessarily identify them as a discourse, but these are uh, scholars that have studied them, and they are, there were five of them. And today, in, in chapter 24, we're going to be looking at the last discourse, which is, it is called Olivet Discourse because Jesus was teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And, um, and the title that I'm putting on today is, How Shall We Live Now? If you were here last week, now you kind of wonder, why is this a repeat of what we heard last week? And uh, in fact, some people... Uh, 
send me messages and say, you know, are you sure your topic is not being, the title was not copied over from last week, what, or what are you going to talk about? I said, just come and, and let's, let's hear what God has to say to us, okay? So Johanna has read the passage for us, so I'll just jump right in, and then we'll look into more intently, first by first, uh, some of those uh, verses uh, that, that was read earlier. So really what happened here is that the disciples come to Jesus, and they are basically asking questions to Jesus. They said, uh, tell us, when will these things be? After Jesus talked about the destruction of the temple, and then he talks about war and rumor of wars. Uh, so when will this be? I mean, those are legitimate questions, and I think if I were there, th that, those are the questions that probably I'm going to ask as well. Um, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So simply two questions. When will these things be? And what will be the sign? Right? Now, up to that point, the, the Jews or, or whoever, the, the main audience that Jesus had at that time have the Old Testament, or they have the books uh, of Moses, they have uh, the prophets, they have the Psalms, they have the prophets, and um, they have read that, and they, in the temple, they would open the scrolls and read that, and everybody would have listened to this again and again. Now, there are so many uh, uh, books in, in their scripture that talks about the coming of the Messiah, right? But when they read that, if, if you are a scholar, if you're a Jewish scholar, you would look at those passages and realize that there are two different kind of people, two different kind of Messiah that the Scripture talks about. One is a suffering Messiah. One is a, a king. Uh, one is a servant that comes into this world, and he will suffer. And if you read from Isaiah 53, for example, that's the graphical picture of what that Messiah is. But also, places in scriptures also talk about a Messiah that will come, that will free his people, that will liberate them, and he would come as a conquering king. So to the eyes of a Jewish person at that time, in their mind, it's a little bit difficult to reconcile, right? A servant and a king is like they are diabolically uh, apart, right? So how do you make sense of this? One is a suffering servant, and one is a conquering, reigning king. So some of them have believed that they are, these are actually two different people that God will send. Because, of course, they don't believe that the Messiah would be the Son of God, right? They're thinking just somebody who come and liberate them. And even you see uh, during Jesus' uh, teaching, many of them would come and thought that he would be the conquering king that they would uh, he would liberate them from the oppressions of the Romans at a time. But thank be to God that we, as people who live after that, can now look in Scriptures and then be able to see that the suffering servant and the conquering king are one of the same person, and that person is Jesus Christ. There's so many prophecy about Jesus or about the Messiah that is actually um, fulfilled in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think if a Jewish person would come and study that, uh, I, I don't see how they cannot come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
we know that there are many Jews uh, are for Christ, but there are also still many people who do not believe that. But again, um, God choose and, and, and call people to himself. Not everyone would accept it. Not everyone would believe. But those who have ears, let him hear. Okay, so that's the, the backdrop of where we are as these disciples ask him. Notice that um, he actually, uh, they actually ask, what will be the sign of your coming? So interestingly, he is right there, but yet he, they are asking him, where, what is the sign of your second coming? Or when, are you, when you come again? So obviously, Jesus has told them that he will go away, he will die for their sin, he will be crucified on the cross, and then he will go into the tomb, and then on the third day he will rise again. But then he also tells them that after that, that he will go to the Father, prepare rooms for them, and then come back again. And that time he will come as a reigning king, and then um, uh, the end will come. So they already know this, right? So by this time, the disciples already knew that uh, Jesus is going to go away, but then he will come back again and, and liberate them. So he, they are eager to know uh, when will this be. So if, if we look at Jesus' answer, though, it's interesting to know that he did not answer them directly. Uh, let's go back to that first that Johanna uh, read. In verse 4, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. So somebody come and ask you a question, right? Uh, what and when? And you, your answer is completely different from what they were expecting. But instead, what did Jesus say? Jesus answered them, See no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. So Jesus gave them warnings, and I uh, tried to put them into boxes so that we can easily go through them, and I identified that there are at least three main warnings, and I would like to take time today and then look at these warnings. If the Savior of the world, if the reigning king who is coming back again is telling us, is warning us, of some important tenets, I think it is only right for us to look into it intently and prepare ourselves if that is a warning. That is the intention of why Jesus is telling his disciples this anyway. So there are three warnings. The first one is about deception, which he pointed out immediately after those two questions, right? He said, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And then later on, he repeats the same theme, saying that, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. The second one is, he talks about death and persecution. In verse 9, he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for, na for my name's sake. This is the second warning that death and persecution, death, not just natural death, but murder, but somebody putting someone else to die, right? And then the third warning is warning from falling away. He said that, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then lastly, in, the, uh, in verse 14, the Lord Jesus told them also of a good news. Uh, I put a green light here. Um, it's supposed to tell us that this is what is going to happen regardless whatever happened to this world, but this will happen. And, the, and this gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Christ, the good news about the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Right? So he sort of answered them. He gave them uh, about the signs early on um, in the passage that Johanna read, and then he also tell them, this, the, uh, when will this be? He didn't specifically tell us what's the date. Many people try to predict and look at the uh, events of, of our life and look at history and so on to determine when is that date going to be. I mean, it would be good, right, for us to know exactly when is Jesus coming back again. I mean, if I know that I'm, uh, I was going to marry my, my girlfriend then, now my wife, and if I just say, you know, one day I'll marry you, I don't think she will be very happy, right? She wants to know, okay, what, what is that wedding date going to be so that we can better prepare, so that we can come to that? But that's our human wisdom. The Lord has wisdom that is beyond us. He did not give us a specific date. In fact, when the disciples pressed on him to give, him, to give the dates, he said, even I don't know. Even the Son of Man does not know. Even the angels do not know. Only the Father knows. God the Father um, is the one that determines when it's the time that the end will come. For us, it is our job, our duty to continue to be ready, just like what the passages following. So this next two chapters, 24 and 25, would be called the Olivet Discourse that talks about that end times. And there will be many more warnings and signs and things like that that will be covered by uh, uh, this pulpit in the next coming weeks. So let's uh, dive in a little bit on each warning and see what we can do. Because Scripture is good to, uh, to, to teach us, to rebuke us, uh, to correct us, and to train us into righteousness. And let's, let's look at these words and see what we can do um, today. So let's look at the first one, deception. Now, deception is something that sometimes comes very subtly. If I come to you and I just tell you, I'm going to tell you a lie, you will be on your guard, and whatever I say, might not, you, might, you might have filtered it out very quickly, right? But deception is something that comes in very subtly. You don't know it, and uh, you're starting to believe a little bit of the lie, and then eventually it, it grows root more and more, and eventually, that is the belief, the, the lies you believe as truth. So deception works that way. Um, so how do we prepare ourselves so that we will not be deceived? Because today, uh, by the way, if you don't already realize that all of us human beings are very adaptable. We are influenceable. That's the good news and the bad news, by the way. The good news is that, especially in our children, uh, in our students, we can model certain things, we can teach them certain things, and hopefully, because they're adaptable and they're influenceable, that they can uh, pick up a few things that we teach them. 
But at the same time, um, what if the thing that is being taught is the wrong thing? Let's say somebody changed the curriculum in schools and start teaching certain things, even in Christian schools, let's say. Our children would be believing that as truth, especially if it is delivered by people who they respect, who they know that loves them, especially their parents, uh, people who are uh, famous or who are influential. Uh, slowly, the message that people tell us will become something that we hold on as truth. Now, what can we do so that we are not deceived? I know that uh, when even this particular pericope or, or, or topic about the end times, about Jesus coming back again, or the theologians would coin it as eschatology. Um, many people are teaching different, th- different things from very liberal way of looking at things to a very, very almost cultic, uh, sectarian type of teaching. There are churches that basically said, well, Jesus is coming again and is imminent. It's like going to happen today or this weekend or, you know, very soon. And uh, people are asked to basically be ready by coming to a building, coming to a church together with everybody else. All that we have to do now is to pray because we will be raptured and, um, you know, everything else doesn't matter anymore. I know of a, a friend who has a family member that belonged to such church that the teaching from the pulpit is about that, that it is imminent and it's about now. I don't think that's wrong because many of us perhaps live on the other extreme, right, where we basically just live, you know, happy-go-lucky every day and assuming that uh, it's going to be a long time from now. Since it's 2,000 years already, since Jesus told us, maybe another 2,000 years and I won't be around, so I'll just live my life like how I should live each day, worrying about my own thing and you know, not worry too much about what, what was said here. So those are two extremes. So this extreme where uh, my friend told me that, you know, um, he has a family member that basically come and says, okay, this is where my safe deposit uh, box key is. This is the combination. So when I am raptured, you know, you can take care of that and then maybe use it for other means or, you know, to that extent. I think um, we need to be careful because the Lord did not just tell his disciples to just sit around, wait for me here, don't go anywhere. But yes, he did say that uh, uh, in Acts chapter 1. He said, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you'll be sent throughout the world. For what? To be the messenger so that the gospel would be brought to the many nations around us. So if we just sit around Every day we come to a holy huddle of a church and uh, we just remind each other Christ is coming uh, and let's pray and hasten his coming, but we're not doing anything. I think we got the message wrong. We can be deceived that way. It becomes self-preservation. Let's not go and contaminate ourselves with the world full of sin, but let's just live in such a way that, you know, we are ready when, when, when the bridegroom comes. I don't think that's what being ready really means when Jesus said that uh, be watchful uh, because you don't know the night or the hour uh, when he will return. I believe that we who are believers in Christ, who are still here on earth, 
we're not back with our heavenly Father. I mean, who's, who, which parents do not really want to be close to their families, to, to their children, unless your children is very wayward. But thanks be to God for His mercy and grace that even though we are wayward most of the time or some of the times, uh, He still longed for us. Jesus went to prepare a room for us. But why are we still here? Why are we not be with our loving Heavenly Father, being with Him forever? Well, because there's still a job that is not done. So if we just huddle around and not seeing the rest of the world as people who are perishing, we are missing the point. So how should we not be deceived? I think God has given us His Word. It is very important. And I hope that uh, as a church... We will continue to use this pulpit and to use uh, various means to help our people to know the truth of God so that we don't get easily deceived, right? In, for, uh, in Ephesians 4, it talks about that the leaders of the uh, church uh, should do their work to impart the knowledge of the Word of God so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, the truth will be God's word, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So that is the purpose of us gathering every Sunday maybe, or maybe in our uh, Bible study groups, uh, or whatever community that we are belonging to, to continue to uh, look into God's Word intently, uh, to have discussion, and then also not just so that we have uh, the knowledge of the Word, but we can actually implement, we can actually carry out what God's truth is. And not just once, and if you read through especially the New Testament toward the end, it, it talks about the apostle keeps saying, uh, I don't have to apologize this, but by way of reminder, I want to remind you again that remember, you know, this truth. Because why? We, as humans, we oftentimes forget. Uh, unless somebody else mentioned it, then we've already forgotten what we have learned before. And repetition is really a way of learning. And we need our community, we need people to tell us, to remind us of God's truth. The second warning is about death and persecution. So, um, I think this is happening as well, not maybe in where we are, but in many countries which, is, which are considered close countries to the gospel. People who proclaim the gospel will be persecuted. Uh, people have been thrown in jail. Uh, people have been killed. People have been murdered. But even in this country, there are pockets where this is happening. It's probably just not very public. But um, if you believe, if you truly believe in Christ, you will be persecuted. In fact, it was promised that those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted, right? Just the fact that we are believers in Christ, if we truly carry out the mandate, we, if we truly are obedient to the, to the word of Christ, we will be persecuted. And also, it says here that you will be put to death. Again, not natural death, but death because you believe that you would be killed. You would be killed because of your belief. I don't think that is uh, quite happening in, in our culture today here in Jakarta, 
but I believe that some of our brothers have fleed their country because of some of the persecution that is happening in their country, right? But how can we prepare if it is coming to us? I think, first of all, we need to check on ourselves. Do I really believe what I believe today, that I'm willing to give up my life for the truth that I embodied? Or is this just some teaching that other people tell me and recruited me to become a member of uh, a church, let's say, that I belong to this? Or when I come to church, is this only because, oh, the church teach my children good things, good moral values, so that they would grow up to become a better person? I don't think if you only hold on to those things, that if a gun is held to your head and said, do you truly believe in Christ, that you would continue to profess Christ. Uh, Now, even the disciples denied Jesus, so don't get me wrong that it is not something very lightly to just say, okay, I'm, I'm ready, take my life, right? But it took Paul, Apostle Paul, many years to one day be able to say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do we have that understanding? It's probably easy for us to say it, but when we truly are in the situation where our life is uh, on the line, can we truly say that, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Now, un- until dying uh, comes or the, the, the chance that we will die comes, how about the living? For me to live is Christ. Are we actually living for Christ today or are we living for ourselves? If we're only living for ourselves, I'm sure by the time we are asked to die for Christ, we'll say no. I'm quite sure. If we're not living for Christ today, when it comes time for us to die for Christ, we will say no. But why is it that Apostle Paul considered death to be a gain? Or why is it that we should not fear death? Well, because Christ died and resurrected. He, ra- he raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. And uh, as a result, he is the first fruit of what is the plan of God for all humanity, for all of us. Of course, uh, when we die, um, there will be a life after death. Uh, so death is not the end. And, and for those people who are in Christ, dying is actually gain because then we will be with our heavenly father in paradise, just like the thief at the right hand of Christ uh, who was crucified with him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So if I die right now, which is a good thing to die when you preach, right? And uh, you'll, you'll have a direct uh, path to heaven. But that's not true because even a thief that repented at the very last minute, Christ said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So that is the reality, that is the promise that our Savior gave to each one of us who have truly believed in Him, that we'll be with Him. So don't be afraid to die, because to die is gain. To die is being with Christ. A thousand arrows will come, and it will not hit me if, the Father is, if it is not yet the time that the Father determined that it is time for me to be with Him. Perhaps there are other things that He wants me to do in this world. Right? So we should not fear death. We should not fear persecution. We should not go and, fi- and look for trouble. But when it comes finding us, we should not be afraid because we have a conquering Savior awaiting us 
at the other end. But, as I said, maybe to die is easy because it's a one-time deal, right? Put the gun in your head, pull the trigger, and then you're dead, and you're with God. So there's not, no repercussion immediately after that. But how about our daily life? Jesus said that if you don't carry your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? What does that mean to live by carrying our cross daily? Basically, it means to die to self daily. That instead of me wanting to get revenge, maybe, for somebody who is offending me, or maybe it is uh, for me to live for my own comfort, that I would be willing to die to self, sacrificing my own comfort for the life of others, for the glory of God. So I believe that uh, even daily, we're challenged to die. Are we willing to die for Christ daily? It is not just when the, uh, the people who persecute us come and want to kill us that we declare that we are ready to die. But we declare daily. Now, it's not easy, but this is the calling of Christ. You cannot be Christ's followers. You cannot be Christ's disciples if you do not deny yourself, carry your cross daily, and follow Him faithfully. The third warning is about the warning of falling away. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, if I have a cup of coffee, I just brew it, it's hot, and when I go to Starbucks or other places, I would say, uh, what would you like? I said, Americano, but make it extra hot. I like my coffee very hot. Now, coffee doesn't, hot coffee doesn't just become cold coffee in an instant, right? It takes time to cool down and then cool, and then if you put it in a cold place, then it will become cold, right? But it will stay, still take time. So again, falling away is not just something like you believe today and then tomorrow suddenly you don't believe. There's a progression of unbelief or disbelief in us. And uh, that's why we have to ask God, take away my unbelief, right? But um, many will fall away. Is it I, Lord? Judas asked the Lord, is it I? Is it I that, that you are referring to, that I will fall away? Well, it's good for us to ask that question. Will I fall away? If the Lord's coming is... Tomorrow, and I know that, maybe I won't fall away because it's only a few more hours, right? I can, I can handle it. But if I don't know, when, it is, when is His coming? And there are so many ideology, ideologies and, and uh, things that people talked about is barraging my belief each and every day, right? We see our culture constantly uh, whether that is politics, whether that is uh, universities, whether that is whatever ideas that come around. It's trying to topple what I truly believe. Now, there's good things in shifting, right? That we, we come to uh, believe what we believe more when it is being challenged because we have to find a deeper answer why we believe the things we believe. But it's a different thing when we subtly being influenced in our children that goes to universities perhaps, new ideas, things that they start to move away 
Why? Not because they, uh, the truth has now is obsolete, but because the other things have become more prominent, and this truth that is going that we need to be reminded again and again is becoming less and less in our forefront of our thinking and our, of our mind. And very soon, little by little, we would be deceived and hold on to a different ideology. There's so many um, young people, even from our church, that were raised here uh, with uh, the rock in the children's ministry, going through the youth program here with Verity, and then when they go to college, they say goodbye to their parents, but oftentimes also goodbye to the faith of their parents because they never really own the faith itself. And as a result, when other ideology comes, it's just another thing that I can trade what I believe because that seems to be more cool and more friends actually adopt that in their lives. So how can we prevent ourselves from falling away? As I mentioned earlier, that God has given us His Word, right? So His Word is truth, and that should anchor, be anchored in our lives so that we can uh, fight against the lies that the enemies throw at us because we know the truth. But another thing that God provides for us is the community, is His people. So when we believe God gives us His Spirit, right? So God's Spirit comes and lives in us, without which we are dead in our trespasses. Also, He gives us His living Word, His Word, uh, written Word, that comes alive because the Holy Spirit quickens our spirit to believe and to, to understand and to believe in it. And also, the third uh, avenue that God provides for us to live out the faith is through community, to God's people, reminding us, correcting us, rebuking us. Do you have such a community that surrounds you to help you from slipping away? Hebrews 3 talks about this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I, I, I don't want to fall away. I want to uh, be, be one of those, counted that is faithful to the end. I hope all, all of us here says that, right, in our hearts. But how? But how can we keep ourselves from falling away? Uh, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we need to remind one another, uh, exhort one another every day, every day. Every day? I don't have time for every day. You know, my life is just so busy. I have so many different activities. Uh, you ask me to remind, and it's not just one person. In my community, there are many different persons. And today, we live in a modern world where the different activities that we go about doing is kind of uh, compartmentalized, right? If you just imagine uh, people live a long time ago, they live in community where their work, their family life is intermingled with everybody else in that community. But today we can come to a Sunday morning service like this. I look at you, you look at me, you only know who I am on a Sunday morning for that two hours. Unless I tell you what, how my week went and so on. Otherwise, you have no way to know what, how to exhort me or how to encourage me or how to remind me 
at all because our interaction is just such a short period of time. In the olden days, it's a little bit more natural, uh, more organic in a, in a way that people are interacting more and more. And uh, if one person is doing something, all the other people would know. Uh, like in Corinthians, for example, the Corinthian church, if somebody is sleeping with his father's wife, which is not his mother, the whole church would know, right? Uh, today, maybe that is through gossips. <laughs> people would know what's going on in people's life, and especially bad things, right? But um, we don't get to, to know each other that well if we are just a, come, uh, a regular attender of, a, let's say, like a large meeting like this. In fact, you come, most of the time you're just listening to a person or you're just standing where you are singing. Yes, you, we are singing together, but there's not too much interactions. I don't know what's going on. So at least for those who are married or those who are in a family living with their siblings or whatever, you have that community that knows you, right? Those would be your inner circle. And I'm, I'm uh, grateful to have my family, my wife, my daughter that knows me. Uh, knows me not just in public, but knows me also in private in our day-to-day -day life. So, uh, just a personal uh, example, how important that community is. Uh, we were in Bali a few weeks ago uh, in, May, in May. We took an extended time together just to process things. So, uh, one day I was very angry because uh, we were on vacation, by the way, but I'm still entangled with things that's happening in my office. Uh, and I, without telling my wife, has set up an appointment or a, a Zoom meeting with some of my staff. And then uh, we went out for a nice breakfast. We spent time together, chit-chatting uh, and all that. And then on the way back, uh, my wife saw, hey, there's a nice place to, maybe we can hang around there, uh, have, have coffee or whatever, have more chit-chat. I thought, chit-chat? We just, we just finished that an hour ago, you know. But uh, she said, yeah, you know, we're on vacation. Let's, let's spend, 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 uh, spend time together. But I said, we have done that. Uh, without telling her that I have a meeting, but in my mind, I, I assume that, you know, we, we finished this, so now I can uh, move on with something else, right? And I become so angry, I said, how come you suddenly want to do this? You didn't even say it this morning, and we didn't plan about this. Uh, so I was worked up. And then, um, yeah, so she, she said, okay, let's go home. And then we, we went back, and I had my Zoom meeting. And then afterwards, there's a window of opportunity for us to have another conversation. Uh, and then uh, she said, uh, honey, I have something that I would like to talk about. Whenever she says something like that, then <laughs> it's not a good sign, right? <laughs> so uh, we sat in the living room. I forgot where, where, where it was, but we sat down, and then we have another conversation. And then she reminded me, she said, remember, you mentioned that as you grow older, you have told yourself that you don't want to become a grumpy old man, that you don't want to just, uh, you know, become a more and more negative person. Uh, you know, this morning when you said this, um, and, and suddenly you explode in anger uh, of things, and by the way, we're on vacation, and you say this, then I, I, I took that as a mirror that God gives to me and say to myself, that's true. 
that's incongruent with what I said that I want to be. I don't want to become a grumpy old man. I want young people to still like to hang around me and, and get the vibes and good energy out of me, even when I'm growing older. Uh, so things like that, that she can speak into my life because we are interacting a, a lot. And uh, we have a community that meets every other week uh, with, with other brothers and sisters. And then she shared that um, incident, or she asked me, do, should we share that incident? So we share that incident. So our, all our community know because we, told, we choose to tell them, right? So that's a little bit different from a direct interaction that you have with the community of people around you. So that's, that's a maybe second layer of the community that God has put. But at least we choose to tell. But when this was a few weeks after the incident, so when, uh, when we have agreed to talk about it and we meet share about this, and instead of me admitting that, yes, I was uh, short, uh, uh, I became angry very quickly, and I tried to justify myself because now it's opened up in, in a little bit bigger circle, and I want to keep that people still like me, that people don't think bad of me. So instead of just concurring to what she said, I immediately say something like, you know, but, you know, and then starts like Eve shifting the blame to somebody else, right? So I was, I was uh, picking up other things, and, and I think uh, the, the uh, situation was just as such that some other things were brought up, and I just quickly focused on other things instead of saying that, yes, uh, I was a grumpy old man, but I want to grow to be less grumpy, and I want to grow to be um, uh, what I said that I wanted to be. So I think God put people in our lives, in a community, to be a mirror so that we know that what we believe or what we say that we believe and what we want to be and how our life turns out is incongruent. People can come and correct us. People can have that freedom to come and, and uh, speak truth into our lives. So likewise, uh, here in Hebrews, it says that, Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He addressed this to brothers, meaning that these are people who have put their trust in Christ, uh, who he considered his, his brothers in Christ, right? But yet, we are still tempted, even as believers. Uh, evil and un unbelief easily can nest in our hearts, and if it is not checked properly, can take root, and we can fall away. So I think um, it is important for us to be in a community where people, where we can live, that people know us inside as much as they know us outside, without which it is very easy for us to fall away. And this is the admonition from uh, the writer of Hebrew that we should exhort one another. And so those are three warnings. So the first one, um, the warning about the deceit, the, the deceit that uh, will happen, even by prophets. And then later on, you will see in the uh, subsequent passages or subsequent verses, it talks about even prof prophets or people who claim to be uh, prophets, but they are false prophets. They can even perform signs and miracles and wonders that would take away, that would try to draw people away, the believers, as if they could, away from God, right? So we need to watch out uh, not to be deceived by planting deep into the truth of Scripture. And then the second one about death and persecution, the way we can prepare is not by waiting until the day that we were going to be uh, put, put, God put on our head, but 
how do we die daily? How do we follow Christ daily? How is it that we are preparing? Uh, am I willing to lay down my life, even for my wife, who criticized me? Or, okay, I'm not, it's, it's not the time to get back to her right now, but uh, for people who criticize you or whatever, can you have that extended grace to actually say thank you? Thank you for being a mirror to, into my life that God can use to uh, correct me, that I will continue, continue to remain faithful to the end. And then the third one, um, uh, it's, it's a warning about unbelief. It's about falling away. We want to be counted of that little group that Jesus talked about, that who will remain faithful to the end. Not just faithful today, but faithful day after day after day, regardless of the tribulations, regardless of the various things that's happening around us, that we would remain faithful. And then the last point is that uh, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world, throughout the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, even a stone, a dead stone, can testify for God, right? We know that. It's written in Scripture. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me to proclaim this gospel, but for sure, it's going to happen. By hook or by crook, the gospel will be spread out and everybody would have a chance to listen to it. Now, we can just say, okay, God, you can do it. You can do it. You're God. You can do it. But this is also an admonition. Later on, you will see in uh, Matthew 28, for example, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the, of the age. That's Jesus' heart. It will happen, even by the testimony of a dead stone, but might as well. We, who God has left here on earth for His purpose, that we would be praying that your will be done, in my life today, that your purpose be fulfilled. One of the purposes is to see that the whole world would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel basically is framed into uh, four things. The first one is God is the creator of the world. When he created this world, everything was perfect. But then the second pillar is that sin entered the world. We choose self-rule. We think that we're going to get God uh, the best outside of God's best for us. We think we know better. So we fall into sin, and that's Adam and Eve's sin is still very much true in our lives today. We sin because we think that we know better. We can handle things better. We don't think that God's way is the best. But the good news is that God cared. He did not just leave Adam and Eve with their fig leaves. Good luck with those fig leaves, you know, to cover up their shame because of, of their sins. But God provided a way out for them. And it is through Jesus Christ who paid the debt that we can never pay. We sang that song earlier. That however much good works, whatever we do, will not earn us a place to be right with God. When there's no blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Even the very first sin, when God came and gave Adam and Eve 
a covering that is made of animal skin. That was the first animal, I believe, that was killed because there's, there needs to be blood. And throughout the history of the Jewish um, religious belief or, or teaching um, uh, that, that God endowed through uh, different prophets and teachers, that there's always going to be sacrifice of blood. When people sin, they're supposed to come. If they're rich, they, they will bring maybe goats and sacrifice. If they're poor, they will bring pigeons, but they will be killed and blood is spilled. Because when there's no blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. But also, we are reminded that there's not a, enough amount of blood of animals that can actually wash away our sin. But only the blood of Jesus Christ, the unblemished Lamb of God, whose blood is perfect. He is the perfect sacrifice that took away our sin. So that, those things that were given to us was foreshadowing of what the ultimate sacrifice that God will do through His one and only Son on the cross for us. And then lastly, the last pillar of the gospel is that He is coming back again. That our Lord who died, who was the servant Messiah, will come back as a reigning king. And he will rule everything. The end will come when, when uh, he will wipe away all the tears. We sang a lot of songs today about the burdens that we have in this life. Those will be wiped away and we'll live forever with him. So that's the gospel. So how are you spreading the gospel these days? I hope you're spreading the gospel with words, especially when uh, you have an opportunity to, to do so. But like what Tommy said last week, you know, we have a lot of problems in this world. We have garbage because of uh, plastics that we, we ourselves contributed and it's being used and, and uh, it's not being cared properly and it's polluting our world. What is the gospel? The gospel is about the brokenness of our world. But what can we do as people who have been redeemed? So the third pillar about God's redemption now He has come, He has lived in us, His Spirit is in us, so our desire now is to live like how God wants us to live. Tommy showed us from Genesis, the account of Genesis, before men fall into sin, God gave us the command that we are to, uh, to create and cultivate the creation that He has given us. We become co-creator, uh, we invent things. But also, we are to cultivate, we are to take care of our planet, we are to take care of our world. When we have been redeemed, we have been corrected, the Spirit of God now lives in us, we want to do what God has given us as a mandate, as a command that we would do. That is the gospel. Uh, we don't leave that behind and say, well, one day it's all going to be burned up anyway, right? Because before the new heaven and the new uh, earth comes, everything will be burned up. But... Those that are feasible today, those are, we can see are not eternal, but those that are unseen is eternal. Our intent to want to take care of the planet will be eternal, even though, let's say, uh, at the end, as 2 Peter 3 talks about, that everything will be burned up, right? But our desire to be like our Creator, to take the mandate seriously, and to live it out on the day-to-day -day life, that is the gospel. That is the gospel that will attract people. So for many of us, we would say, so how long, Lord? Now, some of us maybe are enjoying life so wonderfully here on earth. We said, well, uh, a, little bit, a little bit later, you know, maybe later. <laughs> 
But for many of us who know that being with God is something much greater, like Apostle Paul said, if I can be with him forever, when his kingdom truly come and fully be established on earth, that is when we can truly enjoy what life is meant to be lived in the fullest. So we long to see that happen. We long to see the end to come. In fact, if you truly are believers in Christ and you understand what is the, the plan, uh, the overarching plan of God, you would call out Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come and take your seat and rule over us because he's going to rule us in justice and, and uh, in righteousness, not like the rulers of this world who are just sinners just like us. So for some, we'll say, well, you know, this was promised 2,000 years ago and it's not happening today. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but Apostle Peter reminded us. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the reason why the Lord has not come yet today, because there are still many who are loved by God, who God desires to come to Him, that today are still wayward, are still out there. And we have our, our job cut out for us. We are to share the gospel. Not everyone would believe, but those that God is waiting to come to repentance would believe. So that is our job today. Warning as well as a mandate. Warning not to fall away ourselves, not to be deceived, right? Not to fear death, to die daily to self, but also a mandate of proclaiming the gospel with our life. If you're a teacher, if you're a business person, you can lift out that pillars that people can see in your life that gospel is fully lived out, that you're not living for yourself today, but you're living with the power of Jesus Christ living in you for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We know, Father, that it's uh, so easy for us to be entangled uh, by the ideology uh, that oftentimes is set up against um, your kingdom's values. We realize, realize that in our own hearts. And it is so easy for us who still have the sinful nature in us to be drawn to what is comfortable, uh, the pride of life. Um, it's so easy, Father, for us to wander away. We need you. We need the Holy Spirit to constantly remind us, convict us of our sins. But at the same time, we need the community of loving people around us, people that can speak truth into our lives, reminding us that you have given us this instrument to keep us from falling away, to keep us from being drawn by sin's deceitfulness. Thank you, Father. And we look forward to your coming. We pray that it will be hastened, that we would uh, come to, to experience that even in our lifetime. But for the time being, help us to fulfill the great commission of going out, preaching the gospel, helping those who do not know you to come to an intimate relationship with you to be able to call you Father, because that's where your heart is. In Christ's name, amen.